0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link
1: in the show description to support now.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at
1: BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care.
0: On this episode, Heather O'Neill joins me for a conversation about her latest novel. It's called The Girl Who Was Saturday Night. Let me tell you something about this book. I read it. Front to back, I tell you. I read the whole thing. It's very enjoyable. And you're going to hear more about it. I won't tell you what it's about because that's why she's on the show. So that's the deal. Heather O'Neill from Montreal. Great novelist, great writer, talking about her book. So this is the show. Let's enjoy it. You and I, together...
2: Okay.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread, Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or trocaderoguelph.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade.
0: Heather O'Neill is a talented and provocative novelist based in Montreal. Her first book was the celebrated Lullabies for Little Criminals, which won Canada Reads in 2007, and the Hugh McLennan Prize for Fiction. Her latest novel is The Girl Who Was Saturday Night, which was published by HarperCollins Canada this past April, and tells the compelling story of a pair of directionless fraternal twins in Montreal, Nushka and Nikolai Nicola, Nicola, Nicholas, Nicolas, Nicolas Trombley, we'll figure this out in post, who live in the shadow of their has-been folk singer of a neglectful father and bear certain emotional scars as a result. Young Quebecois, coming of age in 1995, they are separatists on one hand, but unwitting sovereignists on the other. Their creator is bringing their story with her as a participating author at the Eden Mills Writers' Festival, where she'll read on Sunday, September 14th. Here to discuss this further is Heather O'Neill. Hi Heather, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm well. Where are you?
1: I'm in Montreal right now.
0: You're in Montreal, home of either Nicholas or Nicola Tremblay. How do you say, how am I supposed to say that guy's name?
1: You can say it either way. I mean, it's written without an H, so it's Nicolas. but um, everybody's, you know, everybody anglophone says Nicholas, so.
0: Right, there's no <laughs> H. There's no H. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Nicolas. Okay, I'm sorry. See, I should have cleared that before we started talking.
1: Oh, it's actually fine. I actually end up saying Nicholas a lot in interviews too, because in English it's always Nicholas. Right. And in French it's Nicolas. So it's, you know, it's a difference between Michael and Michelle.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, I apologize. But that's good. I, I, I appreciate you letting me off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> now, I enjoy this book very much and I, and I tried to frame it there briefly. Uh, I hope I did an okay job beyond mangling Nicolas' name. Uh, do you mind telling people what's, what it's about in your own words?
1: Um, difficult to kind of put a novel like to sum up a novel because I mean the nature of a novel is that it's just about um you know trying to go after life with this with a huge net so um but it's I mean to try and make a really complicated story short it's the story of these two um twins Nikola and Nushka who are just too enmeshed and um They've kind of had to raise themselves because their parents have completely sort of bailed on them and so they've kind of created this um this codependency based on their own sort of like imaginative kooky like ideas and um you know and added to the fact that they were child stars so everywhere they go everybody recognizes them and sort of like um gets all excited about them, even though they've become complete losers. So they have this like weird sense of identity where they're famous, but they do nothing. Right. And anyways, um, uh, so the novel is sort of about them having to finally, um, separate because their relationship is becoming like really destructive and they sort of can't evolve with one another there or have any sort of like relationship with anybody else. And, um, so it's about that, and it's just about Montreal, and it's about the idea of storytelling and you know like how we all have to invent our sort of strange fictions to exist, and it's about poetry and just like fun things and the magic and the mundane and you know stuff like that
0: yeah there's magic in poetry, and i don 't there's not much mundane about the book, but there's definitely magic in poetry poetry that those aspects are clear i'm can exactly.
1: You? I would say there's just like, it's a world in which nothing is mundane.
0: Yes, yeah. that, that is exactly the way I would put The way you just put it, that's the way I would have put it if I was on my game today. That's exactly right. <laughs> Very good. See, this is why I ask. I, it, you mentioned that it's difficult to encapsulate a novel uh, in this way, but I think it's even harder for someone like me to try, or rather, it might be harder for someone like you to hear someone like me try to do it. I think that's why I asked you to try an attempt to do this since you live in you lived in this world I assume while you definitely lived in this world a lot longer than I did
1: yes obviously
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I, I figured you would know it better it's like asking for I'm basically asking you for directions
1: it is I mean and it's funny though like um yeah you do spend so much time when you write a novel that your character is sort of seem to be your friends, and then you just sort of abandon them and go off onto, <laughs> onto another world, and then it's like, then you promote the book, and people are asking, and you're like, oh, my God, Nikola and Nushka, I don't know. I, I just abandon them like everyone else abandons them.
0: <laughs> right, it's important to move on once you finish a novel. I've never written a novel, uh, but I assume, you've done two now. I, I assume you've discovered it's important to, or maybe not even important, it's just sort of an involuntary reflex to let go of what you've just created.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to so you can create like a whole new world. And in a, in a way, it's sort of, it's always kind of a relief. And like, um, but it is a strange thing, because then you kind of, you, you let them go out into the world. And they end up having these relationships with each reader, which is always kind of a strange thing, because it's almost like you've, you create when you write a book. It's like you write it, but it doesn't really belong to you. I mean, I, I sort of, especially felt that way with lullabies for little criminals. Hmm. That it sort of it became, it had its own life, like so separate from me, and it's out in the world, and it just seems like, um, in a weird way, it seems like sometimes it has nothing to do with me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You need that. You know, what I mean,
1: it's like it's it, it's you know we like. We broke up We on amicable terms, <laughs> 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 but we decided, you know, it was better for us not to stay friends. And then Lullabies is out, like, having all these other relationships with all these sorts of people. And it really, even though I, I like, created it, it sort of it doesn't really have anything to do with me.
0: Yeah, I don't <laughs> this, want to put, I, don't, I don't this is a strange.
1: I'm going on a strange tangent here. No, no, it
0: just you you sound a bit like you see yourself as more of a conjurer uh, than maybe a, a, a you're a guy, you're a guide to a world, but it may not even be your world. You've something has struck you and you've conjured it because it came to you kind of thing.
1: Well, I guess so, but I I think it's also cuz I have this idea that books are really alive, so it's like once yeah exactly. once you make something and it's alive, it's like it it becomes its own entity. Hmm. So I was you know I always um my whole life I found books like so magical and and I suppose every book kind of exists in a different way with each reader, yeah, yeah. so it's like a completely different thing because books exist. I mean, there's the tangible like physical book on the page, but really, it comes to life in people's heads. So in each little mind, a book is a completely different thing.
0: Absolutely. Now, I, I, having said all of that, I just want to get a sense, I kind of want to pinpoint the inspiration for you to write a story of separation, if not necessarily about these people, but this grand notion of writing a story of separation. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, what inspired that?
1: Um, about the theme of separation?
0: Well, you've got it going on multiple levels. Yeah. And I, I want to get to those, uh, soon, but I, just this basic idea of people who need each other desperately, but also it might be in their best interest if they were apart. I mean, that's a really intriguing kind of conceptual through line through this, uh, through this book.
1: Yeah, I know. It's a really complicated thing. And, um, so because, um, yeah, it's like we need other people, I mean, it's so complicated that that's why I wrote a novel because it's kind of hard to put into words. But it's like sometimes like we cannot be another person and we need to, you know, in in our lives, we always have to separate from people, from our parents. And these are two people who have to separate because they have to kind of establish their own identities outside of their family. And then so... I also um and that's why I said it during sort of the Quebec referendum because then you have this idea of like you know the province wanting to separate but then it can't you know and how to like where where does one draw the line because we have our we ha- all have our own identities but then at the same time we belong to other people as well so it's kind of finding yourself and establishing boundaries that make you like a complete person without sort of becoming influenced by everyone around you. Like, we all have to kind of establish our own boundaries in order to become an individual.
0: Right. Why, why did you frame it from Nushka's point of view, of all characters? Why, why did she seem like the person that should be telling this story, so to speak?
1: Well, because Nushka's the one who's the most capable of change, and she's sort of... Um, I think everyone, I mean, her father, Etienne Tremblay, who's this, well, he is what he is, but he's a narcissist. And um, he, and you know, uh, like most narcissists, he's incapable of change. And um, Nushka is, she decides that she wants, she wants more. And I think Nicholas is kind of so um, caught up in their childhood identities that he can't quite leave. So, because Nushka is kind of looking for some sort of transformation and looking to grow, and she has this um, deep desire to 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 kind of be her own person and, and, and have her own personality outside of this kind of famous family, that she becomes like the most interesting character in my
2: mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. No, that's fair. She, she does seem to represent stability.
1: Yeah. And and in a way like, um, yeah, she's definitely sort of the most um, sane or not the most sane, but the, the one character who steps outside of herself to see herself within a context and not just um, being caught up in the, um, in, in herself. She's able to kind of, she's trying to, um, just become more aware of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. In the, in the socio-political context of the novel, the father figure, who you just alluded to, Etienne Tremblay, he's not a good person. He's a fun person, but he's not a good father per se. He's, As you say, he's a narcissist, very self-involved. And as much as his kids reject him as kind of old and out of touch uh, with them and with the contemporary world, their stature and their political views almost exclusively stem from him. They don't really know their mother, so he is basically one of their guides, and they're, they're conflicted about that. They're conflicted about following him. Are you saying something about the separatism debate via this neglectful father-slash-unloved-motherless-children dynamic? Is there something going on within that that speaks to what occurred or what continues to occur in Quebec?
1: No, it's more like a personal story, and it's— um. Uh, yeah, no, it was more on a personal level and like, um, I thought it was interesting because their father did not write, like, they're like, Etienne Trombley was interesting because he kind of, he came from a working class background and he like crossed the class divide, which I always find a really fascinating thing. This, this attempt to, um, cross the class divide, which is something, you know, one of the themes that I often explore in my work and um he was able to do it in a kind of interesting way because he became an artist and um I mean but he was a terro- he was a terrible parent and they were actually raised by their their working class grandfather who he kind of abandoned them with mm. but although but he is you know they are the children of Etienne Tremblay and they've um everything that he's kind of read and and thought about they've internalized so whether even though they they sort of um you know despise him at times and just are just um reject him as like a parental figure they are very much sort of um raised raised by him and his whole mythology you know so they're conflicted about that and it's like because in the novel like he he had this I mean, he's very, he was like a genius with public image, and he used them on talk shows and, and kind of presented them as the perfect family, but in reality, they were completely dysfunctional, so um, they're kind of stuck negotiating this, i the idea of them and who they actually are.
0: Right, and this, but this intertwines with what's going on in Quebec in terms of separatism, and this debate about whether it would be better if, if Quebec would be better off in Canada or, or on its own. And Nushka is going through that sort of same thing. So there's a parallel that can be drawn there. Am I, am I hitting that point too heavy or?
1: Yeah, um, no, I, I, I mean, it's definitely there in the novel. It's the question of like, can, like how does, I mean, that was the whole, that's a whole issue behind you know the separatist debates at the time are the sovereignist debates was like can Quebec keep its identity within another country? And how does it do that? And so um and yeah, and that's what Nushka's trying to do. Like how can she keep um her own sense of identity within this within her family? Yeah. Which I think is something we all kind of try and do as we get older. Like like you know, we get to Nushka's age, which is like twenty Is like, who are we and um, apart from our family and within our family? So it's sort of, yeah, I I thought that
0: was interesting. And then within that, you've thrown in this character. I'm not suggesting you've thrown him in. He's integral to the story. But there's this magic realism and wildness about Raphael. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how he fits into this discussion of... Uh, what we're discussing in terms of being part of your family, not being part of your family being part of your country, not being part of your country. What does Raphael represent in that discussion?
1: Um, I mean, Raphael is Raphael, unlike, I mean, has h- had a similar um, childhood experience in Nushka, which is, you know, one of the things that binds them because Raphael was um, a figure skater and he was also like a child star. So, um, whereas he completely rejects who he was as a child, and he's he's just hateful of of that. Like he he can't deal with his own childhood and the sort of different traumas that happened to him as a child because he sort of can't reconcile himself. Mm-hmm that he he's sort of a you know a tragic figure in a way but um I mean Raphael for me was like a really fun character too because I was like I just want to create the ultimate sort of bad boy and give him all these sort of like almost negative attributes and then make him like the sexiest boy in the city so it was kind of fun to I mean I always like that kind of juxtaposition.
0: Yeah. No, it's good. And and then you've got this as you mentioned, all these child stars struggling with celebrity, struggling with their past lives and how they are perceived by the general public. This concept of fame or second generation fame even in in the case of the of the Trombley kids. What are you saying about that in in this culture of you know reality tv and pseudo celebrity what what are you trying to what were you trying to convey there
1: um it was a bit about like um i think fame drives everybody crazy and it's because in a way with fame it's like the public is creating a persona for you so you have this external identity and then you have who you are and i think it it kind of that dichotomy drives people nuts because you're constantly stepping outside of yourself to you know perceive who you are and kind of controlling this image Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and um so that's something they're all contending with like the who everybody in montreal thinks they are because they're sort of household names and very familiar and um They, um, I mean, who who can ever really live up to your, their public persona? Because they are very, you know, they have their sort of very ordinary battles to deal with, whereas in everybody sees Mm -hmm. them as these kind of mythological beings. Yeah. And nobody wants them, nobody wants them to change. Everyone wants them to be who they were like in the 1980s when they were on television, and it's, it's just so different from who they actually are that they, it's, it's very difficult for them to have relationships with anybody. Yeah. Because every, everybody's expecting them to perform and everybody wants to be around them because they feel, you know, you know the minute they walk in the room, something magical has happened.
0: Well, also, and, you also tend to feel like you know those people.
1: Exactly. That's a funny thing, too. It's like everywhere they go, everybody recognizes them and everybody thinks that um, they have a relationship with them. Whereas, you know, they're very isolated because of this, because nobody gets to know them. So and and, and it just makes like Nushka and Nicola like together, you know, they're just they're the only ones who really know each other. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of locked in this private little backstage of life.
0: You yourself are, are you know, you're a public person now. Uh, on some level, you've got a, a public public profile. Have you struggled with this this idea of being out there doing your work and and doing it as well as you can, but always also having to kind of bear this burden of being a name, you know, a person that people now might feel like they know.
1: Um. Yeah. In a lot of ways, and it's like you kind of have to always. Um... You just have to distance yourself from that and realize that, like, who you are is something private and not, and you just can't really be thinking what everybody thinks about you as a sort of public thing, because it's it's something you can't, you can't really conceptualize in a strange way, and if you try, it just, um, I don't know, there's something a little bit mad about it, so... And also, as an artist, you just kind of have to not—you just have to sort of not think about it that much, because you're 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 at home in your little office, and you're creating these magical worlds. So it's like you almost have to disappear.
2: Yeah.
1: So. Um, you yeah, you can't think about it. So. But yeah, other other people have this strange idea of you and I mean like when I had the first book come out like so many people just thought that I was baby and they would get confused when they met me because they're like what um not exactly baby and I'm like no I'm like oh, that's older whole other person you know what, baby just doesn't really actually exist and they were like because they really wanted to meet baby and have you know because she was um a character that so many people kind of related to and, and really liked and then it's like, so, th- you know, then I come along and they're like, oh, we finally get to meet Baby. And they're like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> you're not Baby, and what have you done with her? And I'm like...
0: <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, you can't... I mean, it's a... I don't know, you're writing... And it's
1: like, I'm just me. I'm just a, like, a, sorry, I'm just going to disappoint you.
0: <laughs> you're, you're clearly, uh, you know, writing fiction here. But, I mean, uh, just to to give people the benefit of the doubt or to play devil's advocate or whatever, I mean, you're... You are from Montreal, right? Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the question must be asked. Well, maybe it doesn't have to be asked. No one's got a gun to my head, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do these mm-hmm. books? Re- do these books and this one in particular? Does it reflect any aspect of your own life or upbringing?
1: Um, like this one or the last one, or just in general? I mean, they all it it's like all your characters are in some way part of you like event like um you know like when I was writing Raphael he was so much part of like a certain part of my psyche you know when I get like depressed and down and kind of like overanalyzing things and then like Etienne Tremblay it was sort of like me when I'm feeling narcissistic and like you know um like overly grand, and then Nushka is like my more sort of um reflective like down to earth side, so um I'm probably not asking answering your question, but the they are um they are the i mean the answer is just yes and no, like they are so much part of who I am and what I've experienced. But then they are completely um, fictional characters. But I think like the more like, um, I mean, now with the second novel that the autobiographical question is coming up a lot less. And I think the more the more novels you write, the more people
2: start to see like, oh. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
1: She makes people up, and and understand like this is fiction. So, um.
0: But this is a Montreal that you clearly know well. I mean, I, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious about that more than I, I kind of clearly could see that. I, I mean, I don't know you at all, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what your upbringing was like. So, I, I never. But I, I mean, I just instinctively didn't draw. I don't draw parallels between characters and and their authors too often. But the fact that Mm -hmm. you're you're in Montreal and you've written about Montreal very extensively. I want to ask you about Quebec. Does Quebec seem to have the same passion and divisiveness today that it did in the mid-90s? Or, I mean, you've certainly conjured a Quebec of the mid-90s that has that. Passion, Mm -hmm. divisiveness, you know, it's very... I mean, within the characters, there's all this tension but you're also i think drawing that tension from what was in the air at the time um yeah i mean it's a, it,
1: yeah i think we're, it's very different it's a very different climate now so um this is definitely like um a world you know of, of the
0: 90s and what makes it different
1: um i don't know like um it's just we're not sort of having the same Sort of debate, hmm. in a way, and we've kind of—I think we've moved on to other things. You know, and we've just, as a province, we've moved on to other questions and sort of things.
0: You—you you don't think that air of separatism is still present?
1: I mean, not in the same way. I mean, I—I I I mean, I, I'm not a politician, so I don't want to speak for everybody, but um, it's. Definitely, it's something that I think generally people don't don't want to like deal with right now, hmm. or it's just not. I don't, I don't think it's like a big part of um, Quebec at at the moment. Okay,
0: it's just not a feeling you have in the. Were you were you particular? How old would you have been in the? You're probably. I I I'm guessing you and I are around the same age. You might be younger than me. I can't tell. I'm not gonna ask you your age because that's just weird. But <laughs> in the mid-90s you would have been what, twelve, thirteen?
1: No. I was around Nishka's age.
0: Which is oh, you were like twenty.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I was like um yeah, it's pretty much the same age as Nishka.
0: Okay, sorry, that's my age too. I didn't I don't know why I went twelve, thirteen. That was weird. You were you were like twenty and You
1: must have been sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was uh let's see here. In nineteen ninety Six, I was, uh carry the one, 19, 18, 19? Mm-hmm. So we were about the same age. Okay, so what? when you were processing what was going on at that time, what did you make of it as a kid?
1: I mean, it was like the first time that I was old enough to vote, and this was like the first sort of, um, my first opportunity to have a political say. It was that, because I'd just sort of come of age and just become legal to vote and um, I don't know the climate was just uh, it was wild at the time because everything started changing so quickly and the polls were you know like the yes side was going up and we're all sort of a little like um, we're all just not knowing what was happening Right. So, you know, it was an exciting time as a young person. Right. But I mean with Nushka, Nushka's obviously like um Nushka's um she's much more politically aware than I ever was cuz her, you know, her father is so involved in politics and she and her brother were actually, you know, as children put forward as kind of these um figures of of sovereignty and whatever. So, um, you know, it's a much bigger question in a way for her than it was for me at the time.
0: Right. But you can see why some people would be like, okay, so now that you've sort of revealed this to me, you were about the same age as Nushka at and at the same time. And you know what I mean? Like now it's sort of seems like you can see there's a connection. You said this already, these characters are an extension of you, but you, maybe you can see where people are like, oh, maybe that's her.
1: <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in in a, in a in a way, it's sort of fun, you know. Like, you know, like Jean Genet would never like tell all the details of his biography because he he kind of liked that idea of readers not knowing, like, what exactly was real, what was him, what was the character. So you know, in in a lot of ways, I kind of enjoy that sort of um the sort of not knowing like how much like where does you know where do you draw the line between an author and their works because i think as a writer you can't even really do it yourself so
0: yeah that's fair i want to i do want to ask a little bit about you you specifically not any semblance <laughs> of you but you heather o'neill i want to ask you about what first compelled you to write do you do you remember uh, what uh, sparked your interest in this
1: Oh, um, I wanted to, you know, I had for so long, I wanted to be a writer. Like I remember, um, I, I remember in, in, when I was in elementary school, I had, um, I wrote this story and, uh, you know, we were all assigned in class to write a, a story and I wrote this story about, um the main character gets shrunk by a shrinking machine because it was, you know, the eighties and we were all into shrinking machines back then.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure.
1: So, you know, it's like, um, I'll have a character shrinks too. So then the character meets this cricket and the, no, the character meets a cockroach, but the cockroach is trying to pass itself off as a cricket and Mm. won't kind of acknowledge its identity as a cockroach, which is funny because it's sort of almost like, I mean, that's a lot of the themes of, uh, the girl who was Saturday night, so I've like started my themes early. <laughs> but anyway, but um the my teacher was was so enthusiastic and she told me, you know, you are gonna be a writer. You're you're like a natural writer. And then I remember going home and telling my dad, I was like, She says I'm a writer, and then we were so excited because it's like, Oh my god, you're a writer. And um <laughs> it just always like since then was just like in the family kind of Idea that I would be a writer, and um, and it was just um, something that I kind of was good at, and then it was you know the one thing that I sort of excelled at, and you know in high school I would get my stuff published in the in the high school like the the Protestant school boards like um, magazine and. You know, I mean, I tried out other things in life, but I was a complete failure at them. And then with the writing, it just seemed to be something that um, came naturally to me. And then I just started doing it all the time. And once you start doing it all the time, it becomes, like, quite addictive. And, yeah. you know, it's just such a wonderful feeling. And I it just I just love it so much. Like, even if no one read what I was doing, like, the idea, like sitting down and writing is just so, like, pleasurable to me. So, um yeah, so just my whole, basically my, my whole life I've just wanted to be a writer and that's what I do now and it's sort of, um, yeah, Do you, do you re- comes, I mean, I, I, th- I was listening once to an interview with Janet Frame and she was like, I don't understand these people who say they want, they want to write or they're going to write. She's like, writers just write. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, that's what I do all day long.
0: Right, and and you do you remember these Protestant newsletters or whatever? Do you remember the is that where you would have first been published publicly?
1: Yes. <laughs> and do, do you remember
0: what the first piece to was? To
1: claim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you remember what your first piece was?
1: Um, the first piece was that one um, in the elementary school section. Um, that one was published. Well, the
0: fake the fake cockroach thing. Yeah. Okay, so that was your first thing, and did, James. and did people we were all
1: so excited,
0: and you got like feed- on
1: yellow paper, it's like um,
0: <laughs> did you get feed- with
1: the spiral side?
0: Did you get feedback from your peers and stuff?
1: No, I, I don't. I I mean, I might have. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, okay, but that's a, that's a pretty magical feeling. And then beyond high school, did you go to did you do other school for your writing, or did you just carry forward?
1: Um, I went to McGill and I studied um, English literature there. And then when I graduated, I just started writing.
0: Yeah, I I, I didn't mention it in the intro, but you've contributed to, what, the Walrus, Mm -hmm. uh, New York Times magazine? Is that right? Yeah. And these are what works of fiction or?
1: Um, I mean, I've kind of like I, I do a lot of magazine writing, so I've done a lot of fiction, and I've done also a lot of creative nonfiction essays which I really enjoy doing.
0: Right. Creative nonfiction is, it's not an emerging genre, but it seems to be really in vogue right now. Is that, am I off by saying that, or has it always been?
1: Um, is it in vogue? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's always been something that people enjoy because it kind of, um, you know, you have someone telling like a you know of like a very personal tale and I mean I know when I read creative nonfiction, it's just always so interesting to get like um a door opened on someone else's life and just seeing them how they went through a certain experience and you know how and how you've gone through something similar and it just makes us feel like less alone and that the world is like wonderful and everybody's going through the same sort of Battles and triumphs and disappointments. So, um, I mean, I think that's why people love creative nonfiction.
0: What? What? Is, what exactly? Can you maybe just uh, briefly explain that sort of delineation of creative nonfiction as opposed to a nonfiction piece?
1: Uh, I mean, not that I'm an expert or anything, but nonfiction is sort of like. Um, is more sort of informative and creative nonfiction in a way is you're putting yourself into the story and it's um I mean my own experience with it what I what I consider creative nonfiction I mean maybe it's not the right term for it but it's more like person also you could call it personal journalism Hmm. when you're when you're like investigating yourself and your own life and um uh yeah, so, and, and, cause I liked, um, I mean, I write a lot about when I do these, um, nonfiction pieces, it's often about my childhood and, um, cause I was raised by a single parent. Like I was raised by my dad, you know, in a kind of lower class background and, um, and how I kind of like dealt with that and, and kind of became an artist when it was not, really expected from anyone from that background to come out and be a writer because being a writer seems so sort of, like, noble. And um, so I always think there's something important in that, the sort of, you know, talking about different types of backgrounds.
0: Yeah, and I I assume that it's probably, and maybe experts wouldn't agree, but I sometimes... Now that we're talking about creative nonfiction, I kind of think that your your latest book, "The Girl Who Was Saturday Night," I mean, it has those elements of of setting these characters in a, at a specific time and place that we all know existed. You know, it still resonates uh, mm-hmm. those feelings. Uh, but yet, you're but you've obviously you've created these people. I mean, there there was no Etienne Tremblay; he did not have these offspring. Right. Right. So that would it be fair to say that? when you uh, engage in creative nonfiction writing and then you go towards this fiction, they there is this, you know, they intertwine a little bit?
1: Yeah, I suppose, because in a way it's like you're using creative nonfiction by using your life to illuminate certain themes. And then with fiction, you're using um, fictional characters to illuminate those same themes. And sometimes you have, I mean... It, you have more freedom because you're able to completely invent the facts Hmm. and shape a narrative, which kind of reflects that theme.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the English lesson. I appreciate it. (laughs) I have a master's degree. I don't know what the hell's going on anymore. I don't know. I I should know more about this stuff. The one thing I didn't ask you about was the music of Montreal. It's, it's known as this hotbed of musical innovation, uh, these days, particularly, I mean, a lot of outsiders came in to put it on the map, I suppose. But I'm curious, what aspect of Montreal's musical history are you conjuring with Etienne Tremblay, this period of Quebecois folk singers? Uh, I assume they're based, he is based on some, he's some amalgam of singers of the time, or was he a complete uh, apparition, so to speak?
1: Well, he comes from the tradition of singers at the time. There was sort of this chansonnière tradition where it's like um, they were kind of like folk singers, but folk singers not exactly the word they were kind of like poets and they weren't necessarily supposed to be like um you know the like these m- musical sort of geniuses instead like they were known for um kind of the lyrics of their songs and you know working class stuff and they were known for being funny and it and they became like this huge and a lot of them were sort of hardcore separatists so and they became very um, much part of the early movement. So um, he's kind of coming out of that tradition of like Gilles Vignon and Robert Charlebois and, and these um, cultural figures, which were, you know, they were huge in Quebec and they were not necessarily known outside of it, but um, they were just like uh, a really, really dominant part of the culture. So he's coming out of that tradition, and um, but he's completely like... His whole personality is fabricated.
0: Yeah. Are, are, do you have a soft, soft spot for this sort of overarching genre, or were you kind of tweaking it a little bit, making fun of it a little bit?
1: Um, I do. I mean, I, I kind of... Um, I, you know, I just grew up listening to those songs, and, and like especially like Gilles Vignon was such a part of like every, you know everybody sings those songs, and um, my dad would always play those records. So, yeah, I do have like a soft spot for them, and I loved their like over the top personalities. So it seemed like um, it seemed like a really fun thing to do to invent like one of those
0: guys. Yeah, okay, that's cool. No, it's good. I, I like the element of there's a lot of arts and culture in this uh in this book and uh <laughs> you know you've you've kind of crossed different mediums and i it does come across, it does jump off the page you probably get asked this from time to time there's i hate to say that there's a cinematic quality to this but i was reminded of certain films certain certain scenes certain vignettes certain characters even reminded me of 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 film characters i've encountered in the past have you thought of that have you contemplated screenwriting or uh, have there been any motion toward turning this into something?
1: Um, I haven't really thought about it yet. I mean, there was a lot of interest in lullabies, but then I was sort of... Um, lullabies for me was such like an internal monologue that it was difficult for me to imagine it as, um, as a film. This one seems to me like... Um, yeah, this, it does have a lot of cinematic qualities. I, I find. I mean, I'm a huge, like, uh, so who knows? I mean, maybe with this one.
0: You were, were you going to say you're a movie fan?
1: Yeah, my God. Yeah, I I love movies.
0: Do you like, <laughs> do you like Wes Anderson?
1: Of course. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a, you know, like, um, The Royal Tenenbaums was a bit of one of the influences for this book.
0: I knew it! I didn't want to say it all right, but I kind of knew it. I could kind of tell what was going on here. I I feel like I just cracked the code.
1: So it's like, yeah, and and just, um, so, I mean, because I've watched so many movies and I'm such like a hardcore movie addict that it's inevitable, like, you know, there's like cinematic and literary references in that book.
0: Yeah. All right. I don't want to crack too many codes here. I feel like but I'm
1: also like I'm and just like when I write it's like um, I'm a very visual writer so you know when I'm I'm sort of like a, I'm you know I'm sort of like when I write it I just see the whole thing happening in my head too as a kind of
0: yeah and, and film and this, in my brain and this sort of mystic realism sometimes can be confused for cinematic this idea of, like, something magical happening, you know what I mean? Uh, you, sometimes, I don't know if we're just trained, growing up on culture this way, to be like, uh, this could be a movie, or this <laughs> this must have been a movie, you know what I mean? Reading it, coming off the page, it's weird. But I totally, uh, as I say, I'm once again on this show, proud of myself for cracking a code. <laughs> but I, Royal Tenenbaum is one of my favorite movies of all time, so... Uh, yeah,
1: it's like, it—it it is its own masterpiece. It's just so brilliant.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, this is good to know. So what's what's coming up next for you?
1: Um, I'm, I actually finished a book of short stories, which I wrote while I was writing this novel. So that's coming out next year.
0: You know, some people would be like, what? You were writing two things at the same time? Or at least, sorry, short stories. You were probably writing 15 things at the same time. <laughs> How do you do that?
1: Um... I think it's probably a bad idea, but I have sort of <laughs> <laughs> I'm such like ADD, but sometimes it's good for me to work on two things at once because there's always a point when I'm just like so um, frustrated and disenchanted with what I'm doing that I want to throw it out. So then I go to the other one and I'm like, oh, this seems new and fresh and wonderful. Then I keep writing that one until I'm like, oh, this sucks. Let me go back to the other one. It's like, oh, this one's nice and new. Huh. That's, really but, um, fa-
0: that's really fascinating. You know, a lot of times music in particular, musicians sometimes they'll do a batch of work at the same time but only some of it comes out as a record and then twenty, thirty years later they release the stuff from the same time, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm always like I'm always like, you know what, you should just work on one thing and focus and finish, but then my brain's all over the place. So, you know, and when I was writing um the girl was saturday night because nushka has like um uh she has like so many crazy ideas so a lot of times the short stories would um come out of something from the book like something mm. someone would say and then i'll be like oh that's like that could be a tale on its own or
0: right so they inform one another
1: yeah they kind of do
0: that's going to be interesting so this this could be a nice I don't want to say too much, but there there are aspects of it—the the short story collection—that would be a nice companion p- potentially for this for this novel.
1: Possibly, I don't know if anyone will see it though, because now the stories right. like that I finished them and edited them are their own complete worlds and different, completely different settings. And
0: you know what? So, you know what? I bet I'll see it. <laughs> I'm code we cracking. We can have
1: this conversation again, and you can like <laughs> say the origin of each short story and all its influences.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to spoil anything for anyone. I just uh, I like cracking codes. I'm a bit of an amateur detective that way. Well, that's great. Do you have a sense of when this when this short story collection is coming out?
1: It's coming out next spring.
0: Next spring. Do you have a title in mind?
1: It's called Dear Piglet.
0: Dear Piglet. Hmm. What? Like the Winnie the Pooh piglet? Yeah. Oh. oh. Uh, this is conjured from one story in particular, or...?
1: Yeah, the, um, there's a story in the collection called Dear Piglet. <laughs> the, t-
0: the title track, so to speak? Exactly. All right, excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I, once again, <laughs> once again... That's
1: I, such a funny reaction. No. Dear Piglet.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I have a three-year-old, so I'm constantly reading him children's books, and uh, I'm... <laughs> You're g- like,
1: Dear Piglet, I just read that.
0: Yeah, no, 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 it's not that. I wasn't, I just, I... I tend to, with the Winnie the Pooh, which we haven't read in a few months, maybe, I did all the characters. Mm -hmm. I I did the voices for all the characters, but I just made them up. I know there was a cartoon. Anyway, Piglet to me is, I'm trying to think of what my Piglet voice was. Piglet voice was just like, I don't know about that Pooh, like just like kind of whiny and scared all the time.
1: It's actually not about Winnie the Pooh.
0: Okay. Just making sure. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't mean to make this about me and Piglet, but I just, that's great. That's great that you've got a book called Dear Piglet. That's all I'm trying to get get across right now. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Heather O'Neill's new novel is The Girl Who Was Saturday Night, and it's out now via HarperCollins Canada. She appears at the Eden Mills Writers Festival on Sunday, September 14th. Do you know what you're going to be doing uh, that day? You're just going to, are you going to read read uh, from this book.
1: I uh, yes, I imagine so. I, it, I'm not sure what my event is.
0: I don't know either. I should know that, but it's just some kind of. You're going to be on a panel with some other people. I don't know if there's a theme. Sometimes exactly,
1: I'm I'm sure it's going to be about literature, and I'm going to be reading. Yeah, (laughs) sure they won't get me to sing. Or
0: no, (laughs) no, no. I just meant you've got this other book coming out soon too. Sometimes people are like, "Yeah, I want to read something from the thing you know," but here's a little preview.
1: I know it's tempting.
0: I'm just saying. I don't. I'm not trying to. You know, there's a. Your publisher is listening right now being like what the no no we're promoting the one thing anyway it's good it'll be i'm looking forward to meeting you and and seeing you there for more information people can visit HarperCollins.ca or eden mills writers festival.ca heather do you have a website
1: um no but i'm on twitter
0: yes i noticed that what's your thing again
1: lethal heroin lethal actually, heroin
0: <laughs> sorry every time you tell it's
1: me a an thing of my name actually
0: i'm sorry every time you have told me a title i've reacted in the exact same way it's,
1: it's very
0: weird <laughs> i and apologize i have,
1: I have a, actually my daughter's keeping a blog for me which is really funny
0: so oh, how, how old is your daughter she's 19 oh okay so she's 19 all right so 19 year old she knows how to run a blog it's not like a cute thing like my three-year-old exactly no sorry i'm sure it's adorable this is taking a turn that i don't like I'm trying to be nice, and I'm saying all the wrong things. I just want people to visit HarperCollins.ca, EveMillsWritersFestival.ca, follow you at lethal underscore heroin.
1: Yeah, heroin like the heroin of a novel, not the terrible
0: drug. Which in itself is lethal.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: I'm sorry, again, weird turn. Heather, (laughs) it was very nice speaking with you. I wish you all the best, and thanks for your time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter, at vishcreative, V-I-S-H, K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern,